we have on the Baseball Happenings podcast artist Lauren Taylor, uh, who's licensed with uh, MLB Baseball Hall of Fame, softball player, enthusiast, big-time baseball fan, yes, traumatic brain injury survivor, um, mental health advocate. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Lawrence, so, you know, I've seen a lot of your artwork. Why don't you start with telling the listeners how you got started in the field of art coming out of, like, playing ball in college? Sure. Um, there was a bit of a gap. It mm-hmm. wasn't quite a, a smooth jump. I did a little bit of art um, starting in high school, and it wasn't necessarily sports-related. It was kind of more of a, an outlet to kind of emote um, in a less vulnerable way. Um, and it was, yeah, it's just something I kind of did for fun. And then I did end up going to uh, Wenatchee Valley College on a softball scholarship, a partial scholarship, and um, it was an awesome time. It taught me a lot, and, and it was kind of like, um, it, like college was great, but the lessons I learned playing college ball were, were ones that still kind of stick with me today. And um, it was great, and I, I ended up getting um, – made it through two years of, of the junior college and then moved on to central Washington university where unfortunately some of my injuries just caught up with me. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was, it was awesome, but I didn't do a lot of art during that period. And then, um, I started to get back into playing, you know, just kind of fun beer league softball, um, you know, adult leagues and stuff as I got older and, and found kind of some competitive leagues and, really kind of got back into playing at a more serious level. Um, and that's when I got uh, hit in the face of the line drive. Um, not a great experience, but uh, that, that totally sidelined me. That was kind of the end of, of playing for me. And um, that's when I started kind of picking back up art and doing it in the form of um, kind of like telling stories of baseball history. And that's kind of how I, refound my identity because I kind of lost it as an athlete and I was totally that's all I ever did was sports so Understood. Um, when I could no longer play I started uh, using art to kind of tap into that and that's kind of when those worlds collided a bit you know did you find the art therapeutic uh, you know uh, in your process of recovering yeah yeah um, for the longest time I, I mostly did pencil uh, pencil work which I still I still do but it's it is. It's, it's almost like a meditation for me. Um, I'm not great at regular meditation, but I can really zone in on, on when I'm doing, you know, pencil work for hours and just kind of get lost in the art. And same with now when I create with mixed media on wood, I, I just kind of get lost in the process. And um, it's also been a way for me to um, express myself. But more importantly, even when it's just baseball and I'm not expressing something within me, it, it takes me out of my head which is sometimes the best medicine for me is just to get out of my own head. So, And, you know, when you played, because you had said earlier about, you know, trying to put that side away, especially after the injury. You know, I spoke with Arthur Brad Baluchin uh, earlier this year. Brad put out a wonderful book called The Wax Pack Book. And in it, he caught up with a lot of former Major League players, you know, well after their careers were retired. And a lot of them said mm-hmm. that, you know, they had trouble putting the player inside of them you know, to bed. And I think that's something all of us who had played collegiately kind of struggle with. As you said, like, I had to try to find, uh, you know, 
my identity. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Because I, I feel like a lot of people who played collegiately, you know, after a time's up and it's like, oh, wait, my uniform's not waiting for me or, you know, the schedule's not set is not the easiest transition yeah. for everyone to make. No, it, it absolutely wasn't. I mean, from everything from how the heck do I make friends without being forced to hang out with, you know, the same group of people, um, down to, like you said, you know, not having my day outlined in terms of, you know, workout, school, uh, practice, um, you know, everything, the life of an athlete from when you start in, you know, grade school or whatever, obviously it's not as intense then, but you, you kind of start this lifestyle of, your free time is, is used to kind of build up this this dream of making it to whatever level you can get to. Um, and I think for me, realizing that I was at my ceiling at that point and there was no next step um, was most devastating to me because I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to focus on anymore. It was like, I'm done. Like my whole life of, of you know, trying to get better and, and see how far I could get. And for the longest time, it was about getting into college on a scholarship. And then from there, it was about, you know, making my mark in that and in, in my tenure at that school, um, all of that goes away. And suddenly you're just, you know, I remember my coach saying in practice a lot, she's like, in the real world, you are not going to have people cheer for you every time mm-hmm. you complete an assignment at work. <laughs> we always laugh like, yeah, whatever. I don't know what that means. But it's so accurate. Um, you go from, you know, that to suddenly you're at a desk job and you're not training for anything. You're not doing it. It just, yeah, I totally didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to meet people. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to be a human outside of sports. And um, it took a lot of adjusting and a lot of, it was difficult for sure. And the, so would you say, your artwork has kind of gotten you quote unquote, you know, back in the game because of the connections that you've been able to make, you know, with the players and, uh, you know, the people, fans who are supporting you. Yeah. It's, it's bridged the gap for sure. Um, and it's, it's more of a, the thing I like about this, this is something that my body can get older and sore and joints cannot be as functional and and all that stuff. And I still can make art. Um, whereas, you know, before, yeah, there was, there was a, there's a time, a certain age you get to where you're no longer, you know, trending upwards. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I think the nice thing about combining art and sports for me is it seems like the more time I put into it, the better it gets. And, and the more I understand my capabilities and able to try new things and, um, you know, my goal with every art piece is to tell a story. So in order to be able to effectively tell a story, I need to know the material. So I'm always watching baseball. I'm always thinking about baseball. And yeah, it, it's, it's made a huge difference for me because it's allowed me to still, you know, work on my identity outside of sports, but also still really be in that community that's such a special community to I think anyone that's been in sports knows that that family feeling that just follows you wherever sport is it does it's it's pervasive in 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 many sports and like you said that there is a family atmosphere that follows um Mm -hmm. when the opportunity come to you to work in partnership with major league baseball and the baseball hall of fame yeah um well, I after the injury 
there was probably about, I'd say about a year and a half to two years or so um, that I was just kind of working on sports art. And it wasn't that great. Like it was nothing that stood out. Um, and then I started transitioning over onto wood instead of uh, canvas or paper and then using different techniques like um, stencil and paint and ink and um that's when I started to kind of think, okay, I have something unique here. There's not a lot of this out there. And I, I kind of ran with that. Um, and once I had something I was somewhat proud of, I decided to see, like, instead of being so nervous all the time of, like, what am I and what am I not allowed to do in terms of using logos and, okay, you can do an original, but you can't do prints. Um, I reached out uh, to the MLBPA and they kind of told me what needs to be done and they put me in contact with um, first some baseball card companies like Tops and Panini. Um, unfortunately, they weren't interested, which is fine. It actually was the best thing because it forced me to get better. Um, and then I, I ended up working with uh, Legendary Sports Prints. So Art of Words is, is kind of what they go by. And that's how that kind of fell into place. And then the Hall of Fame came later. So this is the first year I've been doing um, Hall of Fame prints. So um, yeah, I, I think a little bit of luck, a lot of hard work, and the right timing is, is really kind of how it came about. And, you know, you mentioned the Hall of Fame. I was listening to, uh, you know, Matt's podcast, Pretty Big News, with him and Blake, and you were on there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you mm -hmm. discussed, like, you have a certain amount of Hall of Famers that, like, you're allowed to work with because of certain licensing thing. Are, the, are any of the yeah. Negro Leagues players in that group? of players that uh, you can eventually use as subjects? I need to check. I know um, there's a separate licensing agreement for some of the Negro Leagues uh, logos and, and all that stuff, So, which I don't have uh -huh. um, licensing rights to, but I'm kind of learning as I go all the different. There's a lot of little um, things like that that, you know, there's, there's an additional license needed. So, um if nothing else, like I, I can do one of one originals if anything I want. So usually when I'm um, like, I did a Hank Aaron recently where mm -hmm. I, um, I try to tie in his time with the, the clowns, um, Indianapolis clowns so that, you know, people then are like, what is that in his Jersey? And it kind of encourages them to look it up and see that that's where he started. And, you know, um, with one of ones, I can do anything I want. It's just with prints that you have to start kind of, you know, that's when you have to kind of pay attention to licensing and all that stuff. So. Sure. Un understood. Um, is there a favorite player per se that either you've had the opportunity to work with or, um, you know, illustrate that like you've stepped back and looking at it by like, this really holds a special place for me because. Yeah. Um, I get asked this every interview, I think, and I still have yet to have like a very quick, smooth answer um, because it's always changing. Mm -hmm. There will never be a, a more special moment, I think, than when I got to spend um, about 45 minutes with Willie Mays just talking baseball um, by myself with him. And it was an incredibly special time um, that I, I, I don't think I'll ever forget. And I don't know that I'll ever top that. Um, but that was special for its own reason. With other players, you know, things have stuck out to me, like Tony Kemp and Yastrzemski, Mike Yastrzemski, and um, Jackie Bradley Jr., Robinson Cano, people like that that have gone out of their way to be so kind and so helpful and, and not just, you know, complimenting my art, but also helping me reach 
other players and, and make more connections. And they're just, um, there have been people throughout this that have stuck out to me in, in that sense. And then of course there's just athletes that are, you know, such big stars that you kind of are uh, like Albert Pujols, for example, I was kind of like, I don't often have a loss of words, but I was kind of confused what to say. I just was mm. like, yeah, like, you know, sometimes you just are in front of someone that you watch on TV and you see all these milestones that they've achieved and you, you're face to face and you realize they're just a person, but at the same time, there's so much more to so many people. So um, I always say there's, there's a few different levels of that. There's the, the special moments because like Willie Mays will forever be my first baseball card. He's, you know, he's a piece of history. And then there's people like Tony Kemp and Jackie Bradley Jr. who um, reminded me that baseball players are human and they have their own story and they're kind and they have families and they, they want to help and they're more than athletes. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but um, there's a lot of different meetups that have been special for different reasons. Sure. It, it definitely does I've make yet sense. I've make that answer easy for anyone. So, you know, I can appreciate I the maze thing. Answer. Because, like, yeah. Mays holds such a space, special place in the game. You, know, you mentioned pool holes actually just passed Mays, which, like, I was like, wow, I forgot that he was yeah. that close. Um, you know, and Mays yeah. is usually pretty guarded. I met Mays maybe about 10 years ago, and it was brief, like an appearance here in New York. And, you know, everyone wants a piece with him. Uh, and to yeah. be able to get him, like, one-on-one for that amount of time really does sound like a special thing because not everyone's had that level of access to someone like Willie Mays, especially at this stage of his, you know, of the game for him. And I think that's why it was special is because it was going so sideways for the first five minutes. Like I was, I was having a moment like, Oh my God, don't meet your heroes. Like I just was, it's like nothing I was saying was smooth and it was awkward. And I was like, he's going to leave any minute now. Like, what am I doing? And there's actually a fun kind of a funny moment I can laugh at now, but at the time I was like sweating bullets, but um, I turned and looked at um, the clubhouse manager who was in the room with us at the time. And he said, Willie Mays said to me, what are you looking at him for? And I was so nervous because I felt like I was saying the wrong things. And I finally just looked at Willie Mays and he said, listen, I am so nervous right now. Like I just was very honest. I'm like, if you would ask 10 year old me, if I'd ever be meeting you, I would have blacked out. Like, I just, I don't know what to say. I just kind of, and it just broke this kind of awkwardness that was with us for that first five minutes where I was like, I'm, I'm irritating this guy. Like I'm not saying the right things. And it just, I'm so glad I was honest with him about how nervous I was because it suddenly just changed the dynamic. And I just had a conversation with him and it just changed. I started asking him about, you know, plays that were special to me and, and what he remembers most about, you know, things like the over the shoulder catch that everybody knows about. And what he remembers about it is actually not the same thing you would think. Like he talks about how he was ready. He was thinking the whole time that he needed to get the ball in right away um, because otherwise the catch wasn't going to be that special because there was a runner, you know, and, I think once I broke down and just was human with him, he was a human back to me yep. and it started to get more comfortable. But that is why that was so special is because there was five minutes there where I was like, this guy's going to walk out. Like I have ruined this. So yeah. Um, so glad that ended up. Okay. 
Yeah, I've heard I've heard stories about Mays when I was younger, and you know he was doing the whole card show circuit. He was not easy to deal with, and I'm glad that did work out well for you. And like you said, adding a human element kind of maybe brought people, you know, down off the guard that they have. Up. Yeah, and he was so sweet. Once that was done, like wanted to make sure when he got a tea that I got a tea as well. And he was just he, he was fun. He was really nice. And and once that. You know, once we were both, and I think that's the problem is so much these athletes are treated like they're they're something other than human when they are just humans. And sometimes, you know, I try and think of it like there are days when I have my headphones on when I'm walking down the street and I don't really want to talk. Yet I don't have the the burden of every single person knowing who I am and wanting a piece of my time and. I try and keep that in mind now as I, as I approach athletes, like if they're having a conversation, don't interrupt just because you know who they are. You know, like mm. I've tried to learn a little bit more about the fact that, you know, they are just humans and they are just doing the best they can most days. And yeah, that that's been kind of a learning experience for me as well. Understood. You know, I was, I was listening against you to talk the other day and something else came up and I thought yeah. it's a good parallel about how, you know, you seem really intense about playing. And as someone who also played in college, like, I really could appreciate that. And I was like, I got to get to talk to her because, like, the wavelength is similar when you talked about, like, the approach to playing and the training and, the, you know, just really being competitive. How have you taken yeah. that approach over to your business? Because you had alluded to that as well in the interview of just like, hey, being like a sole proprietor, like, everything kind of starts and ends with me, have you taken those sport lessons and applied them to not the art, but the business? Yeah, you know, and, and that's, I get asked all the time, like, how do you get your art to, you know, that's the question I get from a lot of young kids or whatever. How do you get your art in front of so-and-so? Or how do I show so-and-so my art? And, you know, I try and be very honest with them that it's not the, you can be the most talented artist, but you have to be, an entrepreneur at the same time, or you're just going to be a great artist that people don't know about. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't label myself an artist as much as I label myself kind of an entrepreneur. And, and what that meant for me was being okay with failing all the time and being rejected all the time. If you knew how many emails and times I've reached out in the last four years and not had a response from a player, from an agent, from a, a team, you know, you might think, okay, maybe it's time to like walk away, but really it's just being relentless until they finally start to learn your name and you finally get your foot in the door and then you can show them what you're capable of. And um, that competitiveness of like, I don't want to give up until I get to a certain level. And then once I get to that level, it's still not enough. And I raise the bar higher Sometimes it's exhausting, but it's also, I think, the reason I've been able to get to where I'm at in three years of doing this, you know, actually committing to it being my business. Um, and, yeah, it's definitely all competition in my mind. Everything's a competition. Like, if, we're, if I'm walking on the sidewalk and someone's next to me yeah, and they're walking a little bit faster than me, I got to speed up. I know that you don't know we're racing, but we're racing now. Like, you know, <laughs> so everything is a competition in my mind, which is, I do, you know, my work ethic comes from both my parents who owned a restaurant um, for most of my life. And I watched their work ethic is second to none. I I owe all that to them. And the other part is 
my coach in college just anything less than 110 percent was was not good enough and I used to curse her in my mind when I'd be running laps for like not taking the first step towards the ball that was nowhere near me but now I understand it and and those lessons of trans has kind of really I think helped this business be a business Otherwise, I was just always going to be an artist that made things for friends and still worked at a desk job and didn't feel passionate about my job, if you that know, makes you, sense. So. You bring up an excellent point because I was in the music business for a long time, and I, I saw a lot of that. Like, artists just wanted to be artists, but when you're, like, an independent musician or an art artist in the sense of, like, illustrations, photography, yep. there were a lot of people out there who was like, they're dope. They can really rap. There's people that are way better than me out there. But and I know can't that. handle the other part of it or expecting, like, I just need a good manager because they're maybe not yes. willing to do that. And look, a good manager is worth that, whatever, 5%, 10%, but they're really hard to find. But at the end of the day, like, a lot of people I felt were, like, waiting for somebody to put them on or, like what you said, maybe weren't, like, yeah. confident. And after that first second or third where Jackson was like you know what uh, I don't want to deal with this and I'm just going to keep doing it for myself yeah I'm still not confident in myself and I think that helps sometimes it, I'm my own worst critic all the time and that's helpful it's also mentally draining sometimes but um, I actually thought the same thing for a while like I had it put in my head that you know, someone had mentioned they wanted to help me and kind of be like an agent in a way. And I'm like, an agent? Sweet. Like, isn't that what, like, famous people get? Sure. Like, yeah, go find me some jobs. Like, I was like, this sounds perfect. Um, and then I realized after a few times of, like, conversations that no one was going to love my product and sell my product better than me. And my ambition was always greater than these people I talked to about possibly representing me. Yes. And that's that's the difference is no one else is ever going to be as passionate about my business succeeding as me. So I stopped looking for that. And now I'm the person that emails all the time and is looking for leads and is, is selling my product and is putting myself out there on social media. And, you know, I've got friends and stuff all the time. They're like, you need to take a break from your phone. It's like, not right now. Like I'm building my business and being on my phone and being responsive to social media and, you know, constantly making sure my name is out there is the foundation I'm building right now. Um, because it's really important because if you look out there and you type in Insta artist or Instagram artist, there are people out there with skills that put mine to shame. But I feel like as long as I am working harder, I'll always be okay. And, and that's kind of the, the shift I had to, to make. And that's why I'm glad I, I knew more about business than I did art. Because I think if I was better at art, I would have just assumed all of this would happen without as much work. Like right. I could just, I just pray something for $100,000, wait for it to sell and I'd be good. You know, <laughs> instead of like the, I'm pricing this low and I'm going to hustle my face off and I'm going to make as many things as I can. Um, and yeah, it, it's been, it's worked for me so far. Um, but yeah, you cannot take the hard work out of it and just hope talent alone is going to, is going to get you by. And I think that's true in sports too. I was going to say, no I'm longer looking at that. I'm like, I could clip that you. right there. That's like a pull quote, yeah. right? But it's, it's definitely the truth. 
you know, speaking for a little bit of like the content for like Forbes, can you take us a little bit through like without exposing all the numbers, but like maybe sure. the growth that you've had over the last four years for let's say like year one was whatever, you know, 30,000 and then now it's, it's went up exponentially, but like maybe talk a little bit about how, you know, you've been able to build up financially and then what challenges that you've had, you know, with that, because everyone like said, thinks sure. like, Oh, that hundred thousand piece is going to come right off the top. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> I could just tell you that right off the bat. It's not unless you know the right people that happen to just be like, yeah, here's a hundred thousand dollars, but I've not met them. Um, no, I used to, you know, I, I remember I was thinking about this the other day, like a wood original, I would probably be stoked if I got a hundred dollars for, mm-hmm. and the thing that's changed now is I, I, I'm pushing and, and that would be, you know, I'd be happy if I sold it eventually. And now it's kind of, I've learned a little bit more about, you know, the demand of, of collectors wanting to be the one that get the one of one, or they want a numbered print or, you know, kind of tapping into that hobby world that's becoming a big deal again. Um, and so using that and making one of one originals on wood, um, I started kind of trying to build up some momentum with that. So setting a release date, putting a countdown on Instagram and on Facebook and building kind of this excitement where other people's competitive nature can kind of come out um, because people that like sports generally are competitive. Mm. Um, so allowing them to kind of tap into their competitive needs and their hope that they're going to, you know, buy the one of one art piece of someone that maybe one day is going to be big enough where them owning the one of one is going to be their retirement. I mean, isn't that what everyone thinks when they collect right. baseball cards? Sure. It was of like, course. they're going to land the car. Which, which I'm going to be worth. Which I'm concerned yeah. about right now with the way things are going, but that's another conversation for another day. Yeah. I, I hope this is not the, uh, the nineties all over again, but I got burned. I collected so many cards, like when I was 12 and I was like, I'm going to so retire by the time I'm in high school with some of these. And they're worth like 10 cents. Sure. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, kind of that. And then having the confidence to, to start pushing my price up, Mm -hmm. but also to keep in mind that there's also a market for affordable art as well. Like it doesn't, I think there's two different, I don't, I've never fit into kind of the antique view of art where like it's oil and it's all through my imagination and it's on, you know, canvas and it's in a gallery and it's going to sell for, you know, X amount of dollars. That's never been me. It's kind of more, I made something cool. This is the price. And what I've seen over the years is that price has grown a lot more. The more that my name gets out there, the more that they see my business model was I want to have a player owned the original. So for a long time, I would, I would kind of, I was working my nine to five Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends I'd travel to a stadium and I'd give an art piece away for free to a player. So say James Paxton was one of my first gave him the art and then sold prints of that original. So people had an opportunity to own one of a hundred prints that their favorite player owns the original of. And it was kind of this, this model that I, I came up with and I decided to try and use. And that has allowed kind of my business to grow from being, okay, I'm going to sell a print for 20 bucks here and there. And I'll be pretty excited if I sell five of them mm-hmm. to, okay, I'm selling out of print runs. Maybe it's time to expand my prints to 500 prints or a thousand prints or, um, you know, things like that. So just in the last couple of years, the change has been amazing and if i can keep that change going i think 
this is going to grow to something bigger than I can handle on my own, um, which is, is always the hope Good that problem. I can just focus more on art and I can have people helping with the other stuff. So, um, yeah, so far the model's working, but you know, it's always about, it's always about pivoting and shifting. And with COVID it became less about prints of current players and more about old, older players. One of ones of Sandy Koufax and um, Mickey Mantle and and Roger Maris, because people weren't thinking about current players because we didn't know if we were going to have a season. So it's, it's kind of constantly looking at the trends and also if Ken Griffey Jr.'s documentary is dropping on this date, I better have an original Ken Griffey Jr. to be ready the next morning as a one-of-one, one, and I can push my price. That's that's the opportunity to then push my price up higher. Yes, because that's everybody's in a buzz. Yeah, everybody's in a, in a frenzy about Ken Griffey Jr. or Michael Jordan or, you know, soon the Mets documentary. So it's, it's kind of paying attention to those things that are coming up. Um, and using it as a platform and a springboard to kind of see the next level of the pricing. Yes, and you know, as it grows, like you said, you can you can push the price up as opposed to the beginning. You know, you were happy when like a few sold, and now, you know, the price is up. When did you know that you could turn this to full time? Right at some point, for entrepreneurs, they say, "All right, you know, the money is is close enough where I can make the leap and not fall in the water." Yeah. So for me, the there was two parts. One was building a, a pretty solid savings after working a, a great career here for eight years. And the other part was um, PGA Tour hired me to do uh, a piece for the winner of um, the FedEx Cup. And what's the other one that was ending at that time? Justin Rose and, and Tiger Woods were the winners. Sorry, I can't okay. think of the other tournament name. But um, so I had 48 hours to make these two pieces and I created them and they loved them. But the cool thing was, they asked if they could use them to um, market the PGA Tour, and I said yes, and there was a price for that, and um, it was going to be in USA Today, which I was excited about. Figured it'd be like a little a little picture, and um, they're like, pick up a newspaper tomorrow morning and, and check it out. So I go get the newspaper here in Canada, which is a little harder to find, and I open it, and there's a video on my Instagram of this where I'm like, live video for the first time, finding I'm flipping through it, I have no idea that the whole back spread is my art because I can't see it yet. And I think that was the moment that I was like, you know what? Maybe this is my sign. Like I'm going to go for it. And I've got, I've got some money to fall back on if this fails um, off the bat. And I, I just trusted my own work ethic and my own competitive nature that I will not fail. I will find a way to figure it out. And I talked to my parents who happened to be like, very like I knew they were going to tell me if I was being an idiot put it that way mm-hmm. and my mom's like I think you should go for it and I, I wrote my resignation and um, my one month notice the next day and it was the scariest day of my life I think I really it was absolutely terrifying but I'm so glad I did it because yeah then you then you know you're free falling and it's up to you like failures land on you but so do all the success so it just became a matter of um how am I going to make this work? And I'm glad that I had some, you know, a nest egg kind of set up because there were a lot of unexpected expenses like Getty and, mm-hmm. um, you know, royalties and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I always tell people be ready for some of those unexpected costs and don't go into it with like a zero dollars in your bank account type thing. But it it's worked out and I'm so glad. But yeah, that USA Today full page spread, 
is framed in my office, and that was the moment I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And what year was this? This was 2000 and would have been the summer of 2017. Wow. So in three years, you really had, you know, like you said, this, this I don't want to say meteoric, but you've had a, a very nice, like, uh, linear, you know, way up. But what people yep. aren't seeing underneath it are all the, uh, you know, peaks and valleys that go to eventually, you know, start to make that move. Um, Lauren, you know, there's a fundraiser going on right now. Hashtag for Lauren's noggin. Um, you suffered a very severe injury playing softball where you said, you know, you took a, a line drive right to the face and suffered a yeah. traumatic brain injury, which you at the time was, you know, misdiagnosed. And this has been an ongoing thing that you, you've been treating for, I think, the, what, the last four years. Um, and yep. so, it, you know, in the short way, um, take us through like, you know, having experienced that because like I'm a high school coach and the last few years, there's been a lot more focus on like recognizing concussions and, and, you know, return to play protocols and all of those things where like when I first started, all that stuff was not part of like the regulations or being certified. And, you know, I'm sure I Absolutely. missed a few concussions early on when I was coaching soccer to now the point where like, we're really, you know, overprotective of our athletes, which we should be because, you know, this isn't like a thing. Oh, just shake it off. You'll be all right the next exactly. day. Exactly. It's not a bruise that's going to heal tomorrow, you know. And, um, yeah, you know, the short the short version of this is I was grossly misdiagnosed. Mm. Um, I went to the emergency room, and at this point, my you know, I'd lost consciousness. I was on a backboard. They weren't sure if I had possibly – there was some concern of my neck being damaged um, from the fall. And my eyes had completely – it had completely swollen shut at that point. It was it was pretty ugly, but I was also dismissed two hours later, told I had no fractures and that I was fine. Um, at the time, my, my boyfriend was actually a, a Muay Thai fighter, so he knew a little bit about concussions, and he was like, well, what are we doing here? Like, should I be waking her up every hour? And they're like, no, she's fine. And I didn't know enough to, like, advocate for myself either. Plus, I was kind of out of it. Um, so I went home and, and you know, I, I had to go see an ophthalmologist because my vision, once my eyes started to open, I couldn't see very well out of it. And I went to see an ophthalmologist who did an MRI and found several fractures in my face, um, including my jaw, which I just had my sixth surgery uh, last week um, for that, uh, having a fractured um, maxilla led to a lot of issues where I didn't realize my jawbone was actually receding, which mm. has impacted my teeth. And there's just been so much stuff, but the, the biggest piece has been the lack of care I took because I had no idea that I had such a severe concussion have drawn out this recovery so much longer than it needed to be. And um, I think, you know, my biggest hope with with kind of talking about this and, and explaining the, the the glaring errors that were made in that hospital that night is is not so much to rip on the hospital, but to, to let people know you have to sometimes be your biggest advocate. And the more that we learn about concussions, if you have a, a concern that something's not right, sometimes you have to be the one to advocate for that. And, and for parents um, of kids that play sports and, and friends of people that play sports to just kind of be aware of, of the fact that we know so very little about concussions still, I fear. Um, 
you know, I'd go to a doctor and they'd say, stay in a dark room. And I go to a different doctor and they'd say, push it till you feel sick and then stop. And, you know, there's so many different opinions that the path to getting healthy from this has been brutal. And, and the things that I've done wrong because I didn't know any better, like get on an airplane three weeks later or, you know, go back to playing sports in two weeks once my eyes open back really? up. Really? Like, so that's incredible. That, like, you know, no, like, it's stupid. It was so but I mean, it's stupid. incredible in the sense of, like, to hear it because from what I know, I'm like, wow, like, I, I wouldn't expect to see it. But like oh. you said, you, you weren't, like, informed in, you in a sense. You trust the doctors. Yeah. And when they say you're fine, you kind of don't want to be that person that's like, no, but am I? You know, and, and also I think you might relate as an athlete too, that you're so used to just rubbing dirt on it. And there's kind of a value placed on someone that just toughs things out. And that was very strong for me. Like I felt like the more that I could tough out injuries and still to this day, the more valuable I was and the more hard I must have if I can play through an injury. And, you know, with a head injury, I learned that is you can't the really wrong play mindset. That. It's the worst thing you can do. And, you know, I, I, I wish I had, I wish I'd seen somebody who was a little bit more um, educated with head trauma. And I think it's, it's so important that even emergency rooms without a, a neurological um, specialist or, or even, I don't know, any sort of specialist in the area when they're not present, that there's a certain protocol that is, that is gone through every time there's a head injury because, um, leaving that night could have been a lot worse than it was. And it already has been, you know, a nightmare of six different surgeries now. And, and, and a lot of time that I, I'm never going to get back from, from that. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's been a long road and I, I, I'm curious to see where we are in another five years with it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think we still have a lot to learn about concussions and yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's one injury that it's not better to just rub dirt on it and keep going. It is not better to do that. And that's something I've learned, you know, as a coach. I had a player get a concussion about two years ago. He was playing goal and came out, slid out for the ball. Kid slid feet first into him, you know, hit oh, him. No. I took him right out. His dad's like a doctor, but not uh, whatever. He was a doctor of a different specialty. It's like, he'll be sure. okay. I'm like, he's not really okay. I'm like... And then he wound, you know, we had a concussion enough where like he couldn't return to sports until the next six months, and uh, yeah. you know, but initially he was like, "Oh, it's going to be okay." And I'm like, "I've seen this before. And I'm not a doctor, but yeah. you know, take take a little more precaution because you you have to err on that side." Do you think any of this is tied into like the whole insurance system? You know, I know you're up in Canada, and you know, for America here, we're like, "Oh, Canada has such a good system." You know, people aren't paying, and everyone can get covered. Do you think yep. any of that was attributed to, to like doctors are you know are trying to like moderate how much testing that they're giving out on patients? I don't think that thoughts come to mind as much as I I think there was um, you, you know I'm sometimes my my own worst enemy without when I try and be tougher than I need to and I think kind of my nonchalant attitude and and lack of like you know I'm miserable just kind of being like it's fine I think a little bit of that played into the other issue which is that without a specialist on site you're left with just a you know an ER doctor and and I try and remember that 
doctors are humans too. And if you think about all the different medical things that they have to know, like that's a lot. And it's possible that without a protocol, um, the swelling in my head was so severe that an x-ray made it hard to see fractures Mm -hmm. where, you know, the right thing to do would have been to keep me and, and have me have an MRI. And I don't feel angry at the, the system per se. I, I'm disappointed that there's not a protocol for a head injury, given how much we know it can impact a human's life for years and years afterwards and how severe it can be if misdiagnosed or something's missed or there's a brain bleed. Um, so, you know, I've had surgeries in the States and in Canada. I'm, I'm actually a U.S. citizen and um, I don't have a lot of comments on, on what's better. I think there's positives for both mm-hmm. and I don't think about the insurance aspect of things, but I do think about the one issue that has has hindered me from getting the help I needed for so long is the referral system here and that you need a referral to to take the next step. And that ER doctor, by assuming I was fine and also giving me a diagnosis of no fractures and no concussion, set me back a long ways because I never got that referral. So then once I started advocating to get some, some further help, the referrals were so far behind that by the time I got to the concussion clinic and finally got my referral to go there, it had been past six months and they said they, they don't take people that have had a head injury older wow. than six months. So it was behind the eight ball the whole time. And that's been the issue for this whole thing is then the craniofacial surgeon that should have looked at my maxilla fracture was no longer an option because it wasn't a referral. So that's why I've had to go privately and get this done and pay mm-hmm. out of pocket. So it's the referral system that ended up being an issue for me here in Canada that I I I did I lack the knowledge from being from the states to really understand the impact of not getting that referral that night or I probably would have fought for it before I left you know like because mm-hmm. the waiting lists here are years um, the craniofacial surgeon in one of the hospitals is over three year wait list so. Once you don't get that emergency referral, you just go to the back. You you go to your family care doctor, and then you're at the back of the line with everyone else. So uh, with something like a head injury, it's kind of a bad deal to be at the back of the line. Yes, and that's an under, that's an understatement. So. And it's it's, <laughs> but you know, for you to I don't know if recover is a white word, but here we are talking, and you're able to get through all your art. You know, yep. what challenges that presented for you because you know, to be able to focus and concentrate on a screen on, you know, small detail, you know, after having that kind of injury, how have you had to adjust? Because I'm sure you hit spells where like, I got to shut the screen thing off because it just hurts to focus. Yeah, Yeah, you know, and and I've had, you know, special glasses, you know, made by, I've, I've started working with a concussion specialist that works a lot with the NHL players just this past year actually past six months and and he's been pretty great in helping me kind of with little tools like certain glasses that kind of help a little bit and learning that my peripheral vision had kind of shut down and working on getting that getting that to kind of function again um the headaches suck and I get nauseous looking at a screen for too long but I also I I started to know some of the signs when that's coming and if I can kind of get some ice on my head and shut my eyes for a little bit I can get back to it later that night. Whereas if I just push through it, eventually my body gives me no choice but to shut it down because I'm either going to vomit or my head hurts so bad that I can't focus. So 
it's kind of, it's been a learning curve and I do think it gets better. Um, I've got all these different exercises I do with my vision as well as this kind of strange one where there's tape on the inside of my glasses and it, it's, the idea is it kind of disrupts your vision enough that it makes your peripheral vision start to pay attention because that very center, you know, right where you would focus right in the middle is kind of disturbed. Mm-hmm. Um, and little things like that have started to make a difference. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm learning a lot. This is the first time in my life the last three years where I truly understand people that say they have migraines and they're shut down. I'm always like, oh, how bad is it? Oh, I get it now. I I fully understand. You will never hear me ever tell someone that says they have a migraine that it can't be that bad ever. Right. It's not fun. But But um, you can imagine like 20 year old self in competitive mode being like, yeah, you know, whatever. Take some ibuprofen and suck it up. Right. And now you realize like, hmm, maybe they are struggling. I say all the time that this might be some roundabout sick karma because I really did think for the majority of my athletic life that concussions were a mindset. And I hate admitting that because it was so naive and so stupid to think that. And now that I've had a concussion, you know, yeah, we didn't. But I also just was always just assumed it's no different than when you, you know, you get a little, you know, your back's a little sore. You, maybe mm-hmm. your quad's a little tight. Like, come right. on, let's go. Gotta, stretch yeah. it out. Let's go. Yeah. You you don't just stretch out your noggin or, like, put a little ice on it and call it a day. And um, that's been that's been frustrating for me. And the hardest part of it with that was the depression that came with it. Like, you know, all the mental health, the anxiety and the depression that suddenly came out of, you know, the depression mostly. I've had anxiety most of my life. But the, the depression that came out of nowhere was debilitating at times like not only was I suddenly not able to function and do the things I want to do but there's also a lot of research on on the way concussions impact mental health and how they do exacerbate depression and anxiety and and that was that was honestly harder than some of the physical um symptoms for me just just trying to be patient and trust that that it'll get better right and again that's not another thing where you could just tell people you know to get over it because it's real and as you said it's debilitating and crippling and you know it's really tough being inside and just not wanting to get out of yeah. bed or not want to talk to anybody or just feel like everything is going to collapse you know for those that have been there it's it's a really difficult struggle and one that doesn't you know stop with a snap of the fingers no and it's given me such a a bigger mission to this whole art thing. And, um, you know, a lot of the, you'll kind of see on my social media that it's like, MLB and LBPA and Hall of Fame artists, mental health advocate, like that is the most important title and being able to speak about it as much as I can, as often as I can has been the most rewarding because the few people that I heard talk about it and say, listen, like, I'm having a really hard time. I had a concussion and now I'm, I'm suddenly dealing with depression that is just so crippling that I'm worried I won't make it two years. Hearing other people's vulnerability around that saved me because I didn't feel like I was so alone with it all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And if I can give that back to anyone, it would be far more success to me than any art piece, any business success, anything like it it just it's such a relief when you suddenly realize that 
you're not in the journey alone and there's other people to talk to and that there's groups and that there's research and that, you know, it does get better and there's things you can do. And it's, it's a slow journey. I needed to be told that it's a slow journey because I like to do everything fast. I want it fixed tomorrow. I want the thing tomorrow. I Mm. want, you know, I want everything now and I want everything to be better now. And, you know, finally learning that that is not going to happen in this situation was really important for my own health and my own kind of willingness to keep fighting this. Yeah, and that that move to go on is so important. You know, when we were talking, I was thinking about the topic of perfectionism and you coming from like a highly competitive athletic background. And I teach students that really struggle with this, you know, concept. Is that something also that you've had to manage? Because you had said earlier that like you'll look at your pieces and not be 100% satisfied or there's something I can tweak. And, you know, I know that's part of it that like, sometimes stuff just has to be good enough. And what I mean by that is you have to let it rest at some point. Is that something else that you've had to manage, you know, with your artwork and, and, you know, all these other kind of related issues that you've spoken about today? Yeah. The, the first time I really saw it kind of, I really was kind of told to pay attention was actually last month, August. Um, I had had my fourth surgery on my jaw and, and gums and teeth and was having my fifth and sixth um, in the very last day of August and then just last week and I was just burnt out and I was finding I didn't have the energy to do things and, and you know it was it was some advice from, from, from actually a businessman here that I know that I really respect he's, he's built an incredible business, several of them. And he said to me, like, without you, the business doesn't survive. You can't pass on the art to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hearing that was important to me. Like, this, this business doesn't happen. I can't just pass it on if I burn out. And I love what I do. For the first time in my life, I really understand what it means to not work a day in your life when you love what you do. I always thought that was such bullshit. I was like, whatever, like, <laughs> they're not like, working hard enough. You're just still working, yeah. Yeah, you, come on, you're not working hard enough if you think that. But now I really get it, and I never want to get to the point where I'm burnt out here. And and last month I just I decided, you know what, it's okay if I don't beat any numbers or any records or I don't do anything crazy this month, I need to just be. And, and I kind of let things just be. I let their online store just sell what it was going to sell and, and – you know, I, I didn't make a lot of new pieces and it was okay. And I think I, I, the kind of the energy that gave me to just give myself a break for that month has been reassuring in a lot of ways. One, that things will still be okay. Mm-hmm. And two, that I needed that in order to get through the next year. Whereas if I had pushed through that just for the sake of trying to, you know, prove I could, you know, I, it may have a bigger impact in a negative way down the road than just giving myself a few weeks to just be a, just be a human that's a little bit injured right now, you know? So um, (laughs) I'm learning. And and a lot of those things come from people I really respect saying, Hey, you're going to regret pushing it now because it's going to, it will catch up to you and you will burn out. You know, it's not like the season's going to be over tomorrow. Right. So like, yeah, yeah, you know, let's push because we got a week and then it's playoffs and then you have 
whatever, six exactly. months before you play again. Yeah. Like you got to wake up yeah. to see another day. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and trusting that I would come back better if I gave myself a break with something I had to kind of, I had to just trust that that was true and, and it was, and it, and it worked out. And, um, but yeah, that's been a learning curve. Like I'm not better. I'm not more worthy just if I never stop working. Like, I think that's been hard as an athlete and, and as a person that's kind of a perfectionist, you know, I sometimes think my worth is drawn from how hard I'm working. And, you know, to some extent that is how a business, my business has been successful. It is how I've gotten where I'm at, but it also could be the biggest hindrance if I never learn how to pump the brakes on that at important times. So kind of trying to find that balance is probably going to be a struggle for me for as long as I live, but um, at least I'm starting to understand the value in not going a hundred miles an hour all the time. Understood. And you know, that's, I think an important lesson to relay with the season winding down. Um, are there any special projects that you have coming up that you want to, you know, talk about or, or kind of give a preview to like, Hey, I'm working on this for the playoffs or for the world series potentially. Yeah. Um, I well, right now or any day now I'm going to be launching nine new prints. Um, let's see. Six of them will be Cooperstown uh, Hall of Fame prints, and three, assuming there's no hiccups with any of them, and three will be um, current players. Always love releasing new prints because it, it kind of opens up my art to people that can't afford originals, which, hey, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just nice having prints, as well as the playoffs are a fun time for me. I spend a lot of time watching baseball and just waiting for that moment that I then want to kind of pull an all-nighter to start an art piece on and get out there. Um, I love playoffs because I get to do kind of real time. It's exciting. Like there, there's going to be a lot of art being produced and made from, you know, the time playoffs start. And I think it's kind of a unique playoff anyway. So um, lots of, lots of opportunity, but yeah, the, the next thing up will be um, uh, nine new prints releasing any day now. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, there'll be a pre-sale event and, yeah, always, always excited to share new prints with people. So. Great. And where can people find that? I realize like we went this whole time and like I haven't plugged the sites or the social media. Oh, okay. So where can people find uh, your Lauren, artwork? Yeah, LaurenTaylorIllustrations.com is my website. Um, Lauren Taylor Illustrations is my Instagram and Facebook. And then LT Illustrations is my Twitter. Um, I try and be pretty active on there. And that's where I post brand new originals um, and also where I will announce uh, print releases and and whatnot Um, all my prints are numbered and limited so kind of I yeah um, I announce them there's an opportunity to get some and then once they retire they permanently retire well I I think the listeners are going to appreciate your artwork and your story Lauren thank you very much for joining us today and you know spending time with us on the podcast